0: This is somewhere in the skies with Ryan Sprague.
1: Welcome to a very special panel discussion. I am so excited and deeply honored to be hosting this panel today, which is titled, Conversations with Eyewitnesses, Military Encounters. And I got so many of my own questions and questions from you, the audience, that these three gentlemen are going to answer for you today. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get to the panel discussion with Gary Voorhees, Jason Turner, and Matthew Roberts. Enjoy. Gentlemen, first off, I want to thank you for your service, and I also want to thank you for coming to this very special panel discussion. And um, I'm sure a lot of our audience are very familiar with the GoFast, the Gimbal, the Tic Tac videos, uh, but they may not be too familiar with each of your direct involvement in these events. So today we're going to break that down. We're going to get an idea of what you guys experienced, how it affected your lives first and foremost. But before we do that, I'd like to just get an idea of who you guys are. Um, Maybe tell us a little about yourselves and, um, Your time uh, in serving and maybe what your duties were. So, uh, Jason, yeah, if you don't mind, man, could you start?
2: Yeah, so yeah, uh, I was on board the USS Princeton from 2001 to 2005. I served in the uh, supply department as a uh, logistics specialist. Um, My direct involvement with this was um, there had been a, a computer chip that was ordered. And I took it up to CES, which is a ship signal exploitation space. And that's where I got to see the longer video of the, the whole uh, Tic Tac encounter with uh, was it, command, or, uh, Chad Underwood that he recorded on his, um, on his gun camera.
1: Right, right. And, I mean, the story goes from there. And it kind of exploded into uh, the mainstream ever since. And uh, I know we have some questions about that extended video that you saw that we'll get to a little bit later um, because that is a big source of contention. You know, we see this very limited video for the past few years, but you and several others have talked about possibly seeing a much more clear and a much longer video. So we will definitely get to that. But next, uh, Gary. Would you mind telling us a little about your time in the Navy? What you did, what your duties were, and uh, yeah, give that to us, brother.
3: Uh, well, I was a fire controlman third class at the time, uh, which was an Aegis computer technician. Uh, I worked on all the weapon systems and their their mainframes uh, for the uh, associated with the the Aegis system. Um, I went in in '99, went through ACE or basic electronic school, then A school, then C school, and then I was on the Princeton. Um, all those different schools are, first, you go to a basic electronic school that teaches you how to do basic troubleshooting on electronics. Then you go through your A school, which is uh, fire control, which is uh, your general, like, think of it as like general duties as a fire controlman. And then you go to a C school, which is your specialty like so yeah you're a fire controlman, but this is the sy- specific system that you work on um and so the, you become a system expert and that's generally how any of the advanced rates rates in the service go and i think it generally follows the same suit in just about every branch um and so at the time, uh, all those beautiful pictures on the, dis- the displays, those were all all my consoles that I used to have to maintain and take care of. And uh, all my computer systems is what re- ran all the data recording for everything that happened with those systems. Um, along with that, I was also uh, a CEC technician. So I ran the, the Cooperative Engagement Capability System, which was brand new to our fleet at the time. Um, it was probably an old thing by the time the, the – the gimbal event happened, but we were the, we, we were the prototype fleet uh, for the first battle, uh, the first battle group that actually had full cap- CC capability. Um, and what that's, what that does is it takes the sensor data from every ship and combined it to make one big picture for every ship. Uh, so it was, you know, pretty revolutionary at the time. Um, and uh, well, The rest is pretty history and we'll get into it piece by piece.
1: Yeah, we will definitely get to that Gary, but next let's talk to Matthew. Now you were involved with a separate event and, uh, tell us a little about maybe Matthew, before we talk about the event itself, uh, your time in the service, what'd you do? Um, where were you stationed? Yeah. What's the, what do you got for us?
4: All right. So I, uh, I joined the Navy in 2004. Um, and I joined as a cryptologist. Um, i did multiple ships multiple deployments um i was on the theodore roosevelt in 2015 that's where i was stationed um i was working in cess um because that was my job uh so i yeah after that uh after my time on the theodore roosevelt i transferred to the office of naval intelligence um and worked there for three years uh and then I ended my naval career just four years shy of retirement. Um, and that that's about it.
1: I'd love to hear more about that. I know that your, your book that you wrote goes into a lot of um, why you left and everything that happened after that. But uh, let's talk about, let's bring us to more present day, guys. Um, 2017. This huge story breaks in the New York Times. We get these videos of the GoFast, the Gimbal, the Tic Tac, and it just exploded all over the world. And ever since then, we are living in this new age, it appears, of UFO disclosure, if you want to call it that. And it's, uh, it's been pretty interesting. But again, you guys were there when these events happened. So my first question for each of you guys in terms of that is, uh, what was it like? to finally go public. What made you go public about being involved with these events? And, um, yeah, what did your friends, your family think, your other colleagues in the Navy or other military branches? Jason, let's start with you, brother. Um, what was it like that moment you finally decided, I was a part of this, I'm ready to get my name out there? Well,
2: it, it, we've been working on it for the past, I don't know, 16 years. Uh, you know, we've been we've been out and about telling people, you know, and it's kind of the... Um, the stigma of the ufo the aliens the you know the the sea stories and um i don't know once uh once i saw commander fravor uh, come forward and start telling the story it's been kind of a vindication because now it's not just me telling the story of what you know from my perspective now we're starting to get the story from each individual perspective throughout the, uh, the the battle group and to me that that's what was like aha this is that moment where i'm not an idiot i'm not crazy i'm not you know into the whole getting labeled as something and i think that was the biggest the biggest downfall for me was getting labeled as crazy and you know a lot of people they still shy away from it just because it's like, oh, here's another one of those stories. So for me, it's 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 been really humbling, yet at the same time a relief to be able to talk about this without fear of being ridiculed throughout, you know, social media. Now, I mean, compared now compared to then, social media has just it's a giant now compared to MySpace, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> being able to, to talk about it today and be accepted makes all the difference in the world.
1: That's awesome, man. Yeah. And I think again, that stigma and ridicule both in the military itself and the, you know, the civilian world too is shedding and that's exciting. You know, people like me have been involved with this topic since I was 12 years old and I didn't talk about it for a really long time. I did my research, you know, kind of in the shadows, I never brought it up at family gatherings, but now, you know, I'm the UFO guy. I'm loud and proud, and I'm ready to, like, get out there and talk about this. So that's really cool, man. Um, Gary, how about you? What was it like going public, and uh, what did everyone around you think? How did this affect your life?
3: Well, I mean, at first, uh, I still remember uh, when uh, Kevin – the day he called me, he, you know, he says, Hey guy, um, did you see the news article? And I'm like, what news article? Um, not a bit, not a very big period periodical person. So I don't really keep up with much to be honest with you. Uh, and so he says they did, they did an article about the thing that happened in 2004. And I mean, he didn't even need to say anything more. I was like, really? What'd they say? <laughs> you know, I, I want to know more, <laughs> you know, like, uh, so he, uh, he, he linked the article and I read it and then uh, he had asked, uh, well, would you want to go on the record about this? And I go, well, I signed something, so I'm not even sure I can talk about it, you know, and he goes, all right, you know, and he goes, well, would you mind going off the record and talking to uh, some people about it? And then um, I, t- I gave Dave Beatty and another gentleman, uh, uh, you know, my account of it uh, off the record. Cause I, th- I thought it was, you know, important to at least, you know, validate some of the story from commander Fravor and from Kevin day um, about what happened. Um, and then I had contacted some of my old shipmates uh, that, you know, I worked directly with and said, Hey, did we ever sign a non-disclosure? He goes, no, the only thing we ever signed was just a chain of custody for the tapes. And I'm like, Oh, roger that. You know? So, not even knowing that that was actually going to end up being a part of the story. (laughs) I I, uh, then went back and said, I I can talk, you know? Um, Yeah, let's do this. And then next thing, you know, we're invited to Laughlin for our first public, you know, debut, which I will never do another seven day con ever again. (laughs) No. Yeah, I've been there. I, no, no offense to the to the venue because I mean it's it's in Vegas. Yeah, no offense so. to contact
1: in the desert either.
3: <laughs> the, the the venue the venue was was a beautiful hotel but there's certain things that are super legal there and we had a newborn. And so we were like literally running around trying to get away from, you know, cigarette smoke and other smoke and you know, so we uh, we you know, it was a little rough for us. But Either way, I would have I still gone no matter what had what happened. Because uh, ever since then, uh, you know, there was a bond that was formed with, you know, Jason and PJ and Kevin and Dave. And, you know, when I got back together with these guys, it made everything better for me. You know, it kind of brought up like that, that missing piece. You know, you're not nuts. And, you know, all your real close friends, when they hear your story that, you know, you trusted enough to even tell them you know, they, they, they believe you believe something happened, but you know, it's a little too far fetched for them to really believe that there was a UFO. And then all of a sudden they're like, um, that's the thing you were talking about. I'm like, yep. So it was actually real. Yep. Well, well, what is it? I'm like, your guess is as good as mine. I only know that it's real, you know? And so they, uh, (laughs) they definitely, uh, It definitely changed. It flipped the script and it felt good to be instead of, you know, kind of that ridiculous kind of weird guy that just kind of keeps to himself or gets angry about stupid things all the time or is unapproachable. Because apparently I uh, to people that don't know me, I am a bit unapproachable. I
1: don't I don't understand that. (laughs) <laughs> I don't get it either, man. You're one of the nicest but, guys I've ever seen come out of the Navy for sure.
3: But it's, uh, you know, I guess it's just because I work with these guys day in and day out. We're not, you know, we don't have beers after work. I'm I'm a I'm a wholehearted family guy. So I'm literally, it's, you know, it's quarter to five and I'm like, come on, tick tock. I need to get back to the <laughs> house, you know, no overtime for this guy. But yeah, it uh, it definitely changed everything and made things a lot better for me in my life.
1: Awesome. Yeah. And I would assume a sort of vindication. You know, I did uh, interview Kevin Day, the chief radar operator that was with you guys at the time. And uh, I remember him telling me the moment he saw the Tic Tac video on CNN go across the screen as he was working. You know, he dropped a plate of food and he almost started crying because he's like something he kept inside for years and years. And finally, like it's there. People are
0: talking about it.
3: I guess I was a little bit different because I didn't really need the vindication. Um, but it was just nice to be able to openly talk about it and not have it be completely dismissed. Like as soon as you start talking about it, that part was really nice for me.
1: That's awesome. Well, Matthew, okay. So um, this is our first time hearing from you. You know, I've talked to these two gentlemen on separate occasions, but um, maybe give us an idea of uh, your involvement with uh, something that happened uh, much more recently, um, and this was on the East Coast, if I'm correct, off the USS uh, Roosevelt. So if you don't mind, could you tell us a little about um, the event itself and how your involvement was with that, and what made you finally decide that you wanted to start talking about it?
4: Um, Yeah, so, I mean, my involvement in this wasn't very extensive. Uh, So we had we had finished our workups off the coast of Florida and uh, we were sitting back kind of waiting for our debrief um, because the the workup cycle is a big test. Um, So we were waiting to be debriefed about, you know, how we did. Um, And uh, we waited and waited and waited and the debrief was not happening. And I, I, I didn't understand why at the time, um, but uh you know the next day uh, after the after all the drills had finished uh i was sitting there waiting once again and um a buddy of mine walked in to sess who also works in intel and he kind of said hey you know check this out P- let's pull it up on your computer um so we pulled it up um And that was when I saw, for the first time, um, what's known as the gimbal footage um, and the go-fast footage, uh, both at the same time. And so I thought it was, like, the most incredible thing I had ever seen, you know. But um, there were a lot of people that I worked with that were very uninterested um, in what was happening. And um, I was just kind of mesmerized by it. Um I I just watched it over and over and over again, uh, trying to make sense of what I was seeing. Uh because I've seen this kind of footage before and this didn't look like anything I had ever seen before. So I uh I didn't know what to make of it. Uh but I it was just hitting something inside me that was like, this is this is very much out of the ordinary. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I went on about my life after that. Um, I, I I really didn't think that this footage would ever see the light of day. Um, so when the New York times article hit, I was very surprised, uh, and being in Intel and knowing that I first saw this behind closed doors in 2015, and I was you know I was still working at the Office of in Naval Intelligence. So I had family members calling me saying, "Hey, you know, what do you know about this?" And it was very uncomfortable uh, for me to talk about because I couldn't make sense of why this had been declassified. Why is this out in the public sphere now? Um, my job is not something I ever discuss with my family at all. Um, in fact, toward the, towards the end of my 16, uh, year career, my father asked me, what do you do? <laughs> because he had, he had no idea because I never would talk about it. I never even alluded to what I did behind closed doors. So, so this was a very uncomfortable subject for me. Um, but of course, in having read, The New York Times article and seeing that, you know, Harry Reid is quoted, uh, Chris Mellon, um, and these are, you know, important people and they're talking about it. So there must be this must be declassified. So I must be able to talk about it. And I told my brother, yeah, you know, this gimbal footage, I was there in 2015 when I was collected and uh, he was shocked. He was shocked by that.
1: Interesting. Um well, that brings up something else I'd love to get all of your your um your thoughts on. Uh let's start with you, Matthew. What was like the atmosphere at the time on the shifts? I mean, were people freaking out about these things, were they laughing it off? Uh what was kind of the the overall attitude um as these things were happening in real time? Um you know, I can only
4: talk about what I saw. And uh, so what I saw was, um, and I can't speak for the upper chain of command uh, or even verify that there were any meetings about this or anything like that, but uh, the people directly around me were very uninterested in it. Uh, They didn't care. Uh, and I I, I didn't understand that at the time. Uh, I will say that I was very interested in it. I also heard pilots talking about it. Uh, The pilots were very interested. Um, So there were people within Intel that were talking about it. I'm not sure how much the rest of the ship knew uh, Mm. as to what was going on, but um, certainly within Intel we were aware of it, and and the air wing was aware of it. But uh, those were the only two places I heard it being discussed. Um, Yeah, that's it.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Jason, um, how about you, man? Was there talk on the ship, uh, while this was going on or like Matthew, was it kind of just like, yo, come over, look at this video that we just got sent to our, like, you know, our, our servers and stuff. How, what was that like?
2: Yeah, we're, we're so compartmentalized within the, within the, on the ship itself that, you know, the the left hand doesn't always know what the right hand is doing. And, um, so we knew that there were things going on. We just didn't know what it was. And so being, somebody who works in supply, who's not directly in contact with, you know, with like Gary all the time or Matthew who works up in cess You don't necessarily know everything that's going on all the time. And, and rightfully so. Um, but, you know, there were things, there were things happening and things being said that um, we knew something was going on, but we didn't know what. And that's, you know, just from a general ship crew type thing, like, yeah, it's, it's, if you know something's going on, it's because you were directly, you know, involved in it, and if you weren't directly involved in it, you have no clue. But then, like, you go down on the fan town to the smoke deck, and, you know, you're out there, you're trying to get information from people, and at, in the moment, they're not going to give you that information, and they wouldn't, and, you know, so a lot of people, they talk about it, and then, then the rumor mill starts, and, you know. Who knows what it is, you know, and and that's kind of where it ended up for the first two days. And then after that, it kind of just dwindled off, you know, it
1: was back to work. Yeah, back to work. I know you guys had plenty of more important things to be doing at the time. I completely understand. Um, Gary, what was it like from your position, man, when you started seeing these things? I remember you, um, you know they were seeing so many of these things on the radar that they had to shut it all down and boot it back up. So um, what was that whole experience like? Were people like freaking out or thinking well, this is weird or it how really was that? Freaking
3: out. Cause you gotta remember when the first things, when stuff first happens, you mean you just don't assume that it's anything. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you, you try to make sure your systems are working properly. You know, you're it's like uh, when they when the spy guys, which are the guys that you know, directly run the the spy equipment up in the, up in their rooms. You know, they say, oh well, you know, probably gonna have to do a bunch of reboots later. And it's like oh, shit, really? All right. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we'll 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 get it done. You know, I'll stand by it just means no sleep for me. That's 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 because I was the only computer technician on board. So it just you know there was a Q70 guy which was uh the new Style computer technician, but there there was no other computer technicians at that point, so I was just like, oh well, I guess (laughs) screw (laughs) sleep.
4: That's uh, yeah.
3: So uh, and of course I was a I was a heavy smoker at the time, and I I heavily didn't have them very often, so I was bumming cigarettes on the smoke break constantly. Uh, But that's where the that's where all of the information comes from. I mean, that's like if you don't have like a secret clearance and you don't have a space, that's where you find out everything that's happening. You know, so, I mean, I didn't even know we had unknown tracks and it was my systems, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. until the until the guys that are doing the watch standing are like, yeah, yeah, we got these unknown tracks. And, you know, honestly, it was it was nothing important at first. And, you know, I got up there and I'm looking over his shoulder. I'm like, oh, yeah, they only doing 100 knots. Oh, yeah, they're only doing 100 knots. The hell are they made of balsa wood or something? You know, I mean, what the hell goes one hundred knots? Was like we got a bunch of balloons floating out there or something? You know, I mean, one hundred knots isn't very fast. It's faster than a balloon, but you know, you'd see like nothing with that with an actual radar signature like that doing one hundred knots. That was odd. So, like, all right, you know, now this is a system that can you know track a periscope. Across the across the the ocean, you know, you can tell the difference between the crests and a periscope. So, I mean, it's a very sensitive piece of equipment. Um, So if like any of the systems are a little off and the filtering is not right, you can kind of get weird things. But we just vetted this system through a 10 month deployment where it never had it didn't have any malfunctions at all. Nothing at reset wouldn't wouldn't cure. You know, it's just like when you reboot your computer because it's acting a little weird, you know same thing with this with any system so we we did the same thing and well when it came back up it just came back up actually in a better radar resolution than it did when we when we brought it all down um so at that point i was kind of like well we might have something there and then then it got kind of boring for a little bit and uh you know nobody really said anything we tracked them they weren't coming at the ship so they weren't doing anything hostile no hostile intention or anything like that so there was no excitement about them um but i mean they i I figured the fact that they weren't squawking anything you know they weren't they weren't uh when i say squawking is uh every thing that flies shy of very 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 small low altitude craft have to have some type of transmitter of some type to tell everybody around it what it is. And so when I say it's not squawking, nothing it's, it's not, it doesn't have any broadcasts coming from it uh, that we can tell any generic normal broadcasts, you know, there might've been EM or any of these uh special things that we, we look at, but there's been no reports of that stuff because it's probably all classified. But, um, I remember being, uh, you know, kind of excited. I'm like, all right, you know, what? It's here's the mystery. So the plot thickens. So then, what I started to do is I started to go up to the the, you know, uh, com- uh, go into combat and look at where the the bearing and elevation, you know, where where it was in the sky, where to go look. And I was like, well, shits, shits and giggles. I'll go look through the big eyes, see if I can see anything. It's probably too far, but on a couple of occasions, you know, probably about five times. throughout the week I was able to actually see something on the horizon, you know, and uh, during the day, I'll be honest, I couldn't positively identify. I was looking at one of these tracks, but at night, because they actually glowed. And so when they did bug out, you could tell exactly what it was, you know, that wasn't a, you know, it when, when it would haul ass, it, it would be, pretty obvious that that wasn't a, a light on a sailboat or a, a or a light on the top of a fishing vessel or something like that. You know, so, you know, I actually got to see these things. And then when we saw the footage, it just, it made, it made my blood run cold. My head went numb. You get that like feeling like you just don't know how to, this is, this is surreal. You know, it's like the first time you look through it, it's like, you know, am I looking at what I'm thinking I'm looking at? You know, is this, you know, why doesn't it have an engine? <laughs> Why does't it have wings? What is this thing doing? You know, so it's like and then the second time through, you start seeing more details and you're like it has it's colder than the air around it. What the heck <laughs> well, it doesn't have propellers. you know how's this thing moving? you know even at a hundred knots now it's super impressive. <laughs> You know, right. and then then coming to find out when it goes from you know twenty eight thousand feet to sea level, and like I think Kevin said, it was like point seven seconds. They figured it out. That's crazy. No sonic booms. No nothing. I mean, what can do that? It's, nothing I knew. It's
2: yeah, definitely yeah. not a seagull.
3: No, no, <laughs> hyper- <not laughs> seagull. there are. I will. I will go on the record as saying I honestly, positively do not think it's an ultrasonic seagull. <laughs>
1: That's uh, for a very special person out there who we're gonna talk about in the listener questions for I sure. Also, but um
3: yeah. I also will go on the record as saying I love that dude and okay. yeah, should, shouldn't be so hard on him.
1: <laughs> I I would agree, especially with that British accent. It comes off so polite. I think everyone knows who we're <laughs> talking about now. But um Gary, you bring up a really good point and I'd like to get Jason and Matthew's thoughts on this. Um that moment, Matthew, you mentioned in your book, I mean the title of your book the main title is initiated. And I often uh, refer to people's first UFO settings like that as well. You know, this is an initiation into something, a club that a lot of people never wanted to be a part of, but found themselves in almost. So um, for you, Matthew, what was it like seeing that gimbal video, seeing this craft with like no signs of propulsion, uh, moving at those speeds and rotating mid flight? I mean, what went through your mind? Did you start going down the checklist of what it could be? Or were you sort of left there being, as I would be, dumbfounded? What was that like? What did you think it was? I guess that's my question.
4: Uh, well, you know, I I definitely thought it was not something that we had. And I didn't think it was something that an adversary had either. Um, the only explanation I saw for it was that it was not uh, not from here you know not from around here <laughs> and
3: <laughs> the proper uh, term is like off world that way it sounds more professional
4: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but I, I knew it wasn't anything that we had in our inventory or any other nation's inventory so I I, I was really just I was shocked really I mean I, it, I I was coming to the terms with this as I was watching it that oh my gosh, you know, all of these stories are true that, that you've been hearing of, you know, people seeing UFOs. Uh, and I, that, that was kind of like what was going through my head. And I felt, I actually felt a little bit guilty because I never believed it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was one of those people who, you know, if something UFO came on TV, you know, some UFO show, I would kind of roll my eyes and, you know, change the channel. Um and here I was, you know, in a skiff watching this, and it's like, oh wow, you know, this is actually happening. You know,
1: <laughs> got real, yeah, yeah. Jason, how about you, man? At the moment you saw that for the very first time, I mean, did you immediately think I'm looking at a craft from Zeta Reticuli, or what the hell is going on here? What yeah, were your initial thoughts?
2: My first, my first thought was is. Well I'd ask him i'm like is this is this real world or is this exercise and you know he's he asked me this is real world this you know and I'm like whoa you know this is unbelievable because you know seeing this thing move the way of, the way that it moves it kind of it, it explodes your brain you know because everything you think you know about like physics and the way the the world works it's it it quits working that way you know it's like Whoa, because now you have this whole, like, what am I, what am I seeing here? You know, and and so it kind of changes your perspective on everything in that moment. And you question everything you ever know. And then you go, okay, now I owe some other people apologies. (laughs) Because, (laughs) you know, like, I, you know, Sadly, I was one of the guys who would be the one to ridicule you. And now it's like, wow, wow. So when it happens to you, you kind of um, you get a gut punch and, and you have to swallow your pride and, and say, OK, you know, now where do we go? And here, you know, yeah. here we are.
3: Yeah. Unlike these two, though, I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the X-Files. And if there was a UFO show on, I probably would have watched it, but mostly out of more of a. You know, I would have known what a Zeta Reticuli or the, uh, you know, I would have known the species names or that there is multiple species or that, you know, any of these, you know, really down the rabbit hole stuff. Um, and honestly, even being down the rabbit hole, uh, I'm still on the fence with a lot of stuff. But now that I had something to me happen that other people are like, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, now I'm like, uh, well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and be, at least be polite and say, I believe you definitely had some type of experience. I until I, until I experience it myself though, still, still, I still maintain myself as a very skeptical believer of a lot of stuff, but there's enough empirical evidence of even some of the weirdest stuff that, you know, it's worth at least giving a couple, of, you know, it's not going to hurt your feelings or your, t- or your, your brain to listen to, well, some of these people kind of hurt my brain, but, um, it's not going to hurt you to be polite, you know, and I try to, I try to maintain a balance between nuts and bolts and the whole phenomenon talk. When people start getting too far down, like the, the, you know, the, the synchronicity trail or the, the phenomenon trail or the, you know, or the UFO trail. And people have to realize that there's a good possibility that, the reality is much stranger than we ever even can conceive and then on top of that there could just be multiple different things going on you could have top secret aircraft and then you could also have off-world vehicles and then you could also have you know trans medium vehicles coming from other dimensions and you know i mean there's nothing saying that the all of these things couldn't be happening at the same time producing different results which would account for just about everything that we can see
1: absolutely gary and that you bring up a good point too of uh you know the plural of phenomenon that's why we're now calling them unidentified aerial phenomena we have no idea what these are what they represent and matthew i know what you experienced on the east coast was probably had a different source or answer than what these guys had over on the West coast. So I, I want to go down that rabbit hole just a little bit with you guys. Let's just dig the first layer out. Um, because I know for you, Matthew, um, you had a lot of experiences after this, you know, there's this, this idea that once you're kind of in, once you've seen something like either the doors fling wide open or you start to kind of peek in a little bit more and see more light. So, um, yeah, what, what did you guys walk away from these experiences with that Matthew? We'll start with you. Um, could you sort of walk us through what happened, you know, to your belief system, what happened to kind of your perception of reality after all of this? And um, where did you go from there?
4: Well, I can say that uh, for the most part, it didn't change anything, right? I, I didn't, I didn't bother to look into this or give it a second look until the New York Times article came out. Um, Because at the time in 2015, I thought, well, you know, if this is a part of some program, I'm not read into it, and I'll never know anyway, and this footage is never going to see the light of day, so this is the last I'll ever see of it. Um, But what really kind of started things to go in a different direction for me was, you know, the New York Times article and To the Stars Academy, um those people to me uh carried with them a certain amount of credibility. Um and so I being the analyst, the intel analyst that I am, I decided to look into that organization and drill down a little bit. Uh so I I thought well who in this organization has written any books, you know, and let's check those out. And that was when I read uh Hunt for the Skinwalker by Colm Kelleher. And that really, that was probably the the single biggest book that really just shifted my whole worldview. Um, Because to know that this guy who wrote this book is also involved with um, these guys from to the stars, Chris Mellon, Lou Elizondo, all these heavy hitters from the Pentagon. I thought, well, there's gotta be something there in this book uh this can't just be nonsense you know yeah and and so then that's when i started to think well you know this whole everything we called paranormal is also linked to this somehow obviously uh and so that that really just shifted my entire worldview right there that was that was it that was the beginning
1: Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point, too, that these members of the Pentagon, this ATIP program that looked at your events, looked at what happened with you guys, a lot of that money for the program went into investigating something like Skinwalker Ranch. So I would have to agree that there's much stranger things going on here than just whatever, little green men and flying saucers. Um, that could be one of a million answers to what these things were you guys experienced. Jason, we'll start with the first, man. Once you saw that, once you experienced that, and like you said, like it became real, do um, you start looking into other stuff? Like are UFOs something you Google now every morning when you drink your coffee or how did the event um, impact you in terms of what might be out there?
2: Yeah, not really. Um, you know, once once it all transpired, and then everything just kind of dwindled down after the event that happened. I pretty much just, you know, put it on the back burner, and and un- until what a couple years ago, when when the New York Times article came out, and that was when it was like, okay, so there is something to this, um, you know. And, and I think for me, it 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 hasn't really changed, like. Who I am, as far as like my interest in in the subject, other than my specific incident alone, um, I try hmm. not to think outside of this one particular incident because I can really get overwhelmed with it and and I don't like chasing the rabbit down that hole, and because when I do, it's like you know you, you start going beyond where you need to go. And, and right now I think I just want answers to, to what happened with us. And that's kind of where I've, I've, I've put all my energy is figuring out what it was that happened directly to us. And then they, you know, other, other events and other things like what happened with Matthew, um, they'll all fall in, into place when they, you know, in time. So I've just kind of taken a back seat and, and kind of just listened, you know, and I've learned a lot from the people within the community on Twitter, just listening to what they say and, You know, talking to people in private messages, I think that's something that has benefited everybody um, is is our availability to them and their availability to us. You know, not just, um, you know, where we come out, we say this and then we just disappear and we're we're not reachable. I I think that's Mm -hmm. what's revolutionized this whole game over the past 10 years is technology and the ability to communicate and make yourself available almost at any time to anybody, you know, and there have been some pretty nasty people. Um, but there, there's, you know, for the majority of, of the people that I've encountered, uh, you know, politically we may disagree, but at the end of the day, we can all sit down and have a conversation, you know, and, and Absolutely. That's I think that it is maintaining that, uh, that level of, okay, I'm not on the same level with you. You know, because you may be so deep into this that you're starting to talk to talk to me about things that I, you're really kind of pushing people away. You know, and it's like, well, you, know, you don't need to. But I'm like, I, I get it. I understand it. But here's where I'm at. You know, you're at an eight. I'm at a four. And I think that's what people just just bear with us, you know, because it, it's still all new to, to us. You know, it, it, to people like me, it's still new to me. You know, so I don't understand some of the things that people are talking about,
1: yeah, that is such a good point, man. I mean, you guys kind of you literally had these things fall into your lap and it's been a crash course ever since, as I'm sure it is for these people working in the Pentagon right now with this u f o task force you know they didn't they they didn't go to school to work in a pentagon u f o program they weren't trained in in those sorts of things, so I think you're right, I think people. Um, have to have patience. You guys are trying to unravel this thing just as much as we are in the civilian world as well. Um, and the other big thing you bring up too is um, learning. I think that's the most important thing with all this. You guys are so accessible. Again, you could have just come out and like told your story and moved on with their lives, but you've been so transparent and open to the UFO community and uh, the public overall that I, Truly have to thank you guys for that before we go any further. Um, but, yeah, Gary, how about you, man? Um, how how big or small is the shovel you're willing to dig into that rabbit hole? And uh, what are you thinking, man? What, what What's going on in your mind with this whole UFO thing after being involved with this?
3: Well, the one thing that me and Matthew have in common is that it didn't really change me. Uh, it definitely changed my, you know, the way I thought, with, or the things that were possible. Um, so immediately after the event, I started downloading the MIT syllabuses, uh, syllabuses for uh, their physics courses and uh, looking at uh, all the different, all the Ivy League schools syllabuses for their physics courses and learning everything that I could about physics and engineering. Um, I didn't think I'd ever really be able to afford to go back to college, so I just started learning it all myself um, I spent pretty much a lot of my free time just trying to figure out how any of this could even be possible, just to keep running into wall after wall after wall and and of course my uh, my education level it was so minimal to begin with, you know I mean the only thing I had was. I know it's possible now. How? Mm -hmm. So I, I was literally starting from, you know, high school physics to learn all of these different theorems, these different possibilities, these different things that, you know, people have already gone through 10 years of college and knew. Um, So it was like a crash course that I was pushing myself through. And then, uh, then that would, make me fall down other rabbit holes. Like I'd see an article about CRISPR and then I'd just be obsessed with the CRISPR technology and read everything that humans know about CRISPR. Uh, you know, try to understand exactly how it edits genome, how, you know, how, how could they possibly introduce uh, gene editing into a live specimen? And then they're like, Oh, well, you just stick it in a virus and boom, we can rewrite your DNA. And then, you know, that goes into, then that went into epigenetics and then I got stuck on epigenetics for like a year and, you know, just learned everything I could about epigenetics and that's now blowing up too, you know, so it's, it's been one learning rabbit hole after another. And uh, then finally the 2017 report came out and then I get a phone call in 2018 and then I start having to do a crash course in UFO history. Now, I mean, I knew generally the the big ones, you know, Project Blue Book. I knew that uh, there, the, you know, Roswell. There's two crashes. There's you know, there's two crash sites. There, you know, I know some of the details and some a little bit. I'd say if uh, you know Ryan, you're a level ten, and Jason's a level four. I'm probably like a five or a six. <laughs> But I'm not going to remember the details. I'm not going to remember, you know, it was, you know, 14.76 yards away from the, uh, you know, site. You know, I'm never going to remember details that I can look up. Uh, It's been, uh, I had a professor tell me one time, he said, you know, I really enjoyed your thesis, but it is, uh, you need to leave out anything that somebody can look up. If somebody can look (laughs) up a number, there's no point in spending five paragraphs describing it. (laughs) Yeah. So so he said, "Keep it simple, stupid." So I've I've kept it that. You know, so no, no more sixty-page theses for uh, turn in.
4: That's
3: fair. I used to be a little too overzealous with uh, with my work, and uh, but it's because it's like, just like with my work, I'd I'd start writing about it, and then like, oh well, I better explain that. I better explain (laughs) that. I better explain that, you know? So, I mean, even though they're incredibly detailed, they were basically a big bore fest and, uh, <laughs> but it taught me, you know, and, and, and I've, and I've been wrong so many times, you know, I think my favorite thing is being completely wrong on air because you're about to learn because <laughs> you're yeah. about to learn everything there has to know that's actually right about what you're just talking about, you know? So, and, uh, you know, uh, one little tidbit of my story that I actually just got a confirmation about and has been a little bit, uh, you know, it's been on the board because when I was on the boat, I could have swore somebody told me that we had an, an active underwater contact. Mm-hmm. Well, I was right and I was wrong. Um, I did. Talked to one of my former shipmates, and he's and he's basically informed me that it wasn't an active track. They actually got a signature where the you know the sonar guys when they track objects passively, everything has its signature. You know they can tell the difference between a, a Trident submarine and a, uh, a a Russian diesel or a Chinese diesel. You know they they can tell they can even track things in the sky. You know, the the actual vibrations and the engines noise from the sky actually comes underwater and they can track that and they know where generally everything is. Well, it they got it on the hydrophone. You know, they heard it and uh, they all had to sign non disclosure agreements and they were basically debriefed and told they were not allowed to talk about it. And that's something that Interesting. I, yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, so that's what this gentleman was talking to me about, but because I didn't have the explanation that went with it, I just assumed it was an active thing, you know, cause I just said sonar you ping and they get something back. Well, I never thought about the fact that they can just listen too, you know, so they weren't allowed to go active at the time. Um, and that right after they got that, that's, uh, if Jason remembers, we went to general quarters during that time that's why, because they were tracking it on the hydrophone.
2: That's something so, that I think gets missed is, is when we did go to general quarters. And I think that's something that, um, that needs to be talked about, um, you know, even at a later date, um, you know, that that's something that has been lost within this whole thing is that our ship did go to general quarters um, and everybody did go to their battle stations um, in preparation for something we don't know what it was and um, so yeah I, I, I'd, I'd spoke on that once before like when when I first come out and uh, for some reason I haven't even spoke about it since so I'm glad you brought it up Gary that's uh that's
3: something that uh, we- my active my active theory about why we actually went to general quarters is I bet you that it was to limit the, the actually the eyesight of I bet you one of these things got close and you know um, if we go to general quarters, everybody's on the inside of the skin of the ship, except for people on the bridge. You know, hmm. so the only people that would have an active sight of it would be anybody that has a camera system that points outside, like uh, maybe Sea or the bridge crew you know, cause you won't have a watch crew on the outside unless they send the Snoopy team out, which has mm-hmm. been a thing that's gone all over UFO Twitter lately. Cause nobody knew <laughs> the <laughs> difference between the, the different teams that we have, our reconnaissance teams. Um, yeah. Like a,
1: that was news to me.
3: Yeah. Cause uh, we've got a Snoopy team and, you know, anything that needs to be investigated, film, take a picture of outside the skin of the ship. And then you've got your Viper teams and those are generally not even on your ship. They're just, they're a crew of people, you know? So, It's it it was unfortunately can't be confirmed because of the non disclosure agreements that they signed. But at least I was at least able to figure out exactly what this kid that was talking to me actually meant. I say kid because I mean we were all kids at the time, you know. I mean all all in our early twenties, and he was you know younger than that. But you know, and apparently he almost got court martialed. He, he got almost got into some serious trouble for talking about it outside their their, you know, they were they seriously were about to bring him up on charges for, for talking about it outside of their their area. And uh-huh. that's actually what ended up spooking him from talking to me presently. You know, that's why none of these guys, they won't talk, period. I mean they're just yeah,
1: yeah that's I, understandable. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's another good point, too. Um, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. I've got just a few more personal questions, and then we'll fire off these audience questions for you guys. You're being very generous with your time. Um, The idea of reporting these things. Now, we know once, um, you know, the videos were out, the Department of Defense officially released them. Uh, Kind of the Navy followed suit in saying, yeah, these things are real. Like, we tracked them. we, We recorded them. Um, And we're now going to tell our all of our service members to start reporting these things when that wasn't really the case before that. So, again, we've made such strides in terms of uh, reporting these things, I think, in the last year or so um, that God knows what's going to be out there in the coming years. Um, You know, we're already getting other videos that the Navy has recorded. Um, How we're getting those, we're not quite sure. Yet, maybe we'll learn that soon. We're gonna get this report soon as well. But, um, I'm going off on a tangent with you guys. Um, are you now the UFO person to go to with former shipmates, um, other members of the Navy or the military? Are they like coming to you guys now with anything personal experiences, you know, feeling comfortable enough? to do that. Now, have any of you guys had an experience in that realm of someone possibly even still serving being like, yo, this happened over in Afghanistan or this happened over in, in South America. Like what, what am I dealing with here? Any of you guys?
4: You know, I've had plenty of people that have contacted me, um, that are prior military that, you know, had experiences and then they ended up reading my book, um, and then they, you know, they tell me everything that's happened to them, and they never talked about. They never talk to anybody they know about it. Uh, they don't talk to their chain of command about it because, you know, it's just it seems so out there. Um, mm-hmm. But I can say too that while I was working at ONI, uh, there were people who did approach me and say, you know, I had this experience or I had this happen to me. And that was something that they don't share publicly or at work, but they knew that since I, I kept no secret about what was happening to me. Um, since they, they knew that they would, I I would often get approached by just random people that would tell me, Hey, I, I had something happen, you know, let me tell you about it. Um, that happens all the time. It continues to happen. Um, and I think uh, as long as as long as this is kept kind of a secret, um, I think that's going to continue to happen because people won't be comfortable talking about it to just anyone.
1: Absolutely, that's a good point, man. I think uh, what you guys have done and what is what we're seeing now, former service members are feeling more empowered to like come forward and like talk about this stuff because it could be a potential threat. All three of these events that you guys experienced we don't know what it was we don't know what its agenda was where it came from why it was there and we might not ever know but it could be a potential threat so yeah jason gary have either of you guys um been told any interesting or compelling stories of people maybe still in the military or or former
3: well i get um i get commercial pilots sending me emails about, uh, events that they have, uh, making sure that I understand that everything's off the record. Um, then I get a uh, former military. I've had a couple of guys from Iraq come out and tell me about things that they saw out in the desert, um, all off the record, but, you know, still, you know, they feel like they can confide in me. Oh, this, this did happen. You know, I just needed to tell somebody, you know, they were just happy just to tell somebody that they, you know, what happened. And then I get the former shipmates that were there at the event that basically they either through the fact that they still work for the part, department of defense, or they're still in the service, or they just don't want, you know, or they have their own businesses and don't want their names attached to this. Um, you know, they kind of live vicariously through us, you know, they, they keep track. And God forbid, if I say, anything wrong about any system or anything that happened. I mean, they're just like, Hey man, um, just to let you know, this is actually how it happened, you know? And then, (laughs) then, then I'll get, you know, the best way to get, get, get things out of them is tell them they're wrong and then they'll tell you or say something wrong and then they'll tell you all about where you messed up, (laughs) (laughs) which is why, you know, which is, you know, a lot of reason why I got the information about the, you know, the passive track Um, that's going to be, you know, I guarantee that's going to blow up on Twitter once that, once, once they hear that, you know, and it's, it's been a point of contention, you know, and, you know, I have up until just the other day, I've never been able to verify the story that I was given about the underwater tracks. And so now I at least know what the kid was talking about, you know, so, yeah, that made me feel a lot better. Cause I kind of felt like, Oh man, I, you know, I hate to mislead people, but you know, that's what, what I was told, you know, at least that's what I remembered what I was told because remember this is ages ago for us. Right. Right. You know, and honestly I only focused on the fact that we were tracking a UFO. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was enough there for <laughs> me
1: already. You know, that's huge. And I think at least with your event, Uh, A lot of people tend to forget that even Commander David Fravor uh, witnessed something under the water. And that's a piece of this puzzle that I think could solve a lot of the answers that we might never get. So it's again, these stories are still developing. And I think that's what's most important. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt you there with your last thought. But yeah, please go ahead.
3: Oh no worries and you know I I'm glad that Matthew came out because he's actually the first person I've been in contact with about the 15 the 2015 event and not for you know I haven't actively reached out to any of them yet but you know there's uh you know dave Beatty has and he's talked to a couple of the a couple of these guys and you know i find it fascinating yeah because uh the, the I mean, what i've read about it especially the the cube and the spheres and and then seeing the actual gimbal footage and i mean it's so different than what we saw it's just like it, it's like a whole nother mystery that i want to unravel so <laughs> thank you very much for coming out matthew
1: What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis, we have tons of rewards for you in return, including shoutouts on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that, too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash skies thank you and keep looking up
0: one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes
1: nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt
0: until you tried it on same goes for your health Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Jason, any, how about you, man? Anyone come to you with stories? Are you yeah. now the, uh, the messenger?
2: There, there have been a, a few people. Um, and, and also, and let me put this on the record there was a guy um from our ship that that he um he wanted to vet, he even he even wanted to vet my story of everything that was going on so he 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 contacts me and he's like hey look you know you said you were here um you know, tell me you were there you know t- show me how you know prove to me you were there so i did you know and and, and of course that conversation went really quickly and you know and and that's something i, I think that um all of us have kept to our version of events. And when we stick to our version of events and we don't try to speak for someone else, it keeps the story um, right where it needs to be Uh, that, you know, that that's something that none of us are going to embellish this, this whole thing um, because it's so easy to get called out by former uh, your, your former shipmates on the ship. And it's like, You know, you you, you mentioned one thing that's wrong that you say that happened and, and, you know, there's 10 other eyes that were on this thing in that moment. So anyway, back to, uh, you know, people contacting you, you do have those people who are, I wouldn't say afraid to come out. It's just they may have an active role in a a company where they they still hold uh, clearances. Or they they hold, they hold an active government job and they're they're afraid to lose their job. So you know they do kind of talk to us. They don't talk real deep to us about you know some things, but sometimes they do. And we're not ever going to spill the beans on people. You know, so that there's a trust there's a trust factor there. I think where we are not going to you know if somebody comes to us and says, hey, you know, this is what I did. This is what I saw. You know, to trust but verify. And and I think that's the first thing we do is kind of we vet this person out. Like, who is this? You know, what did this person do? Um, and then we get in contact with other people. And it, it's just because there, there are going to be people who embellish their story. And, um, you know, that's something that I think we've worked hard to do is to prevent that from happening. Because once you start doing that, once you start embellishing, once you start lying about things, it's hard to come back from that, you know, and, and your story can change at, on an instant, you know, and it's like, don't even go there. You know, yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, we've we've had that happen once before and, and before this person could even come out, you know, and we we followed up. We found their chain of command. And first thing, you know, and it's like, no, don't do it. Mm. You know, so there are things that we do behind the scenes to kind of hold ourselves accountable to each other that. The general public doesn't know about. And- yeah,
3: most uh, most of the people that we talk to, um, we either know personally know know exactly what they did on the ship, or we heavily vetted um, because, luckily, you know, uh, I'm a I'm we're, we're most of us are disabled vets, so we still have access to check on people, you know, I mean, and honestly, anybody can check to see your service, you know, anybody can see, go check and see who you are. And if you did or you served at that command, you know, they'll be able to tell you whether you served at that command, what you did and your time of service, you know? So, I mean, those, those things can't be faked. So uh, we definitely, and if it's, even on the fence like we can't really verify it you know we generally don't don't roll with it um like I, when i told my original story and then you know i included the fact that this kid had told me we had an underwater track only because that's exactly what was told to me and then i had uh, one of the other sonar technicians say well we could not have had an active track because we couldn't we weren't allowed to go active during that entire event now, what he neglected to say is that they had a passive track, but he was also under nondisclosure not to talk about it. So right. I was all like, oh, man, did I just hear the guy wrong? You know, <laughs> what the hell? You know, so now I, uh, I'll i be honest with you, that single handedly made me feel really good.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to say, I'm so happy you brought that up, um, you know, that you guys are holding each other accountable. And, you know, of course, even in the civilian world, someone like me, you're you You can bet your ass that me and a lot of other UFO researchers um, did, you know, vet you guys before you came forward. With all three of you, I did that. And like I said, there's a reason I have you three here today is because I know that you experience what you said you experience and that you are who you say you are. And, you know, that's hard in the UFO field where we see every shape and form of fraud of hoaxing of liars of embellishments and Endanger. um <laughs> exactly you know p- fantasy prone mental illness it all sort of blends into this weird ufo soup that we find ourselves in but um i'm glad you said that jason holding yourself accountable you look at something like the the Rendlesham forest incident where you know 60 military personnel witnessed a supposed craft landing in england and now You can't tell up from down, left from right of the stories because so many of them have been caught in um, embellishments, in, um, you know, adding on to the story as the years go on. And look, that happens. Like, you might have a trigger memory of something that occurred and be like, oh, my God, like, there's another piece of the puzzle. That's fine. But, you know, memory is faulty. We're all human. I know all three of you can't remember, you know... What um you know what sh- was the color of your shoelaces the day uh, you saw wow. these things you might you might Black. actually it's, yeah that I was <laughs> that was probably a bad example you're in the navy you know exactly what you were wearing but you know what i mean like JC, you were not wearing that Atlanta Braves hat brother when no. um you know you were on the ship stuff like that so i'm glad you guys said that we need that we need that desperately in this field of people holding each other accountable and i think that's what really shines through with all you guys coming forward. I think um, you're doing an incredible job with that.
3: Well, the good thing that even, even with the people that have disagreed with us, you know, it's not that they haven't disagreed with us. They they just don't believe certain events happened the way they did. It's not about whether the event happened or, you know, it's like, I think like with my story, I think a big point of contention is whether or not my tapes were taken. And I'm like, why is that a big deal? I mean, it happened. Uh, yeah. Did you not expect somebody to come and get them? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's it's we. You know, unlike PJ, where they literally just said, "Give us these," then there was no chain of evidence, or you know, they they didn't sign them out. You know, I actually signed ours out to somebody. They don't they didn't tell me who they were. The how the guys didn't even make eye contact with me. Uh, I mean, they basically just stood off to the side and waited for me to sign everything. And then they take tapes, they turned around and walked off. And I I can only assume they're the same guys that came on and, you know, debriefed the, uh, all, all the sonar guys. Uh, so it, uh, it had a, a real just cold vibe to it. Um, and this was the second time I've ever had my data recording taken. The first time was when we actually had a crash during a a, a vehicle crash, a a, a a, a, a aircraft came down and they came and took the data recordings. And now I was there when we installed most of these systems that we put in. So I knew a lot of the tech reps, um, and i knew these guys that came on board they came on they're like yeah you know we're we're, we're looking for the crash data and you know they told you know we had a conversation it was very a lot lot more pleasant and uh, you know they signed it over to them as you know it was authorized and you know and then they they took the tapes they went on their merry way this was just super clinical no eye contact just you know snatch the tapes walk away is that when the prowler went down yeah, yeah, that's that's when the pro, the prowler had gone down. We we were searching for debris yep. for that. We had uh we had our VBSS team out there pulling tr- trash out of the ocean. Everybody, I think, any, all hands on deck for that one. Yep. Um, we we're scooping stuff out of the ocean for a while for that one, but uh, it was uh you know a whole different experience when they came and took the data recording after this event. So
1: that's that's, that, that's, that's telling
3: yeah it was a big big bigger point of contention that's that's honestly the only reason I remember it and the fact that it was the only thing I ended up signing so
1: interesting thanks for sharing that Gary um well, my last personal question for you guys, and then I will fire through these these audience questions for you um the pentagon u a p task force I never thought I would be saying that that the Pentagon is now kind of publicly investigating ufos we had a tip we had project blue book i'm sure there are a lot of other programs that were going on at some point um i want to get all of your thoughts on this we just saw in the new york times that um you know the classified report is ready to go to congress um they're working on the possibly declassified section of it for the public um But that's up for debate if we're going to see anything. So what do you guys think? Uh, Matthew, let's start with you, man. What do you make of this 2021 Pentagon Task Force and this report that we're supposed to get? Now, bear in mind, uh, we're recording this early. I believe this is going to air at Contact in the Desert the day the report's going to come out. So this is going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. So I guess predictions. Should we expect anything from this uh, with your experience, Matthew, um, and your insights into this? with the UAP task force in the report.
4: You know, when I was at O and I, I worked for the command within O and I, where the task force, uh, was born. So I, I know people, you know, on the task force, uh, and they are great people. Uh, and I know what I would love to see in that report. Um, I'm not sure that that's going to be in there though. Uh, We'll, we'll really have to see. I mean, I kind of feel like the public is ready for anything. And I think that none of this should be behind closed doors. Um, I I've always said that. Um, I've always believed that. Um, I think it's up to people to make up their own minds as to what they want to believe. Um, when the whole truth does come out, um, I would like to see. I, I would like to see full transparency. That's what I want ultimately. I don't know that that's what we're going to get with this report. We'll have to see.
1: There's national security. That's one reason that things have to remain classified. So I understand that. But um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to anything coming out of this report. And it's really interesting, Matthew. You mentioned you know uh, some of the people that might possibly be working in this task force. We know, uh, Luis Elizondo, the former ATIP, uh, program director, uh, knows these people and all of you can attest that these are good people and they're, they're doing, they're doing the job they were tasked to do. So, um, thank you for that. If any of them happen to be watching, listening, or come across this, uh, Thank you. I know it can't be easy. You know they didn't, again. They didn't go into the Pentagon thinking they'd ever be working a UFO program. So um, I'm sure they're getting a crash course right now. But uh, yeah, um, Gary, let's go with you next, brother. Um, what do you think's going to happen with a UAP report?
3: Well, uh, it, it, we got a saying everywhere that's uh, you know blue collar, you know crap in one hand and hope in the other. Um, <laughs> I uh, I hope for everything. I hope full transparency, disclosure. And when I say disclosure, what I mean is, uh, you know, the cat's out of the bag. So why don't we go ahead and just pull the cat all the way out, not just show you its head and say, yep, it's a cat and stick it back in the bag. Um, but I got a feeling that we're only going to get as far as them admitting that unknown aerial phenomenon exists i think they're just going to keep with that it's just going to be another level of control um another level of insulation um because honestly if they came out and said that they knew about all of this stuff since the 50s um you would end up having a lot of, a liability nightmare yeah. um just yeah, i mean there's so many people that lives have been ruined over this whole thing uh people have been murdered people have taken their own lives you know careers were ruined i mean they'd be on the hook for a lot of that stuff i mean granted they'd they'd be granted some you know a lot of protections against being sued and stuff but there would be people yelling for accountability they'd be yelling very loud for accountability and i don't think they're going to do that i think what they're going to do is they say okay well from 2004 on we'll admit yeah oh yeah crazy stuff happening we don't know what it is. Don't ask us. And then that's it. Yeah, I think that's all yeah. we're going to get. I think that's you know that's going to be the end of the story. And then they might give you like maybe a handful more of grainy bullshit footage, you know, <laughs> and yeah. just you yeah. and then every once in a while, maybe a couple times a year, just say, oh yeah, we got a, a new gimbal video, or uh, we got a, another go fast, or we got a, you know another. Uh, you know, just to just to keep keep you interested and happy, but not so much that you're going to start you know, pushing Congress again. And the unclassified report, I think, is going to be relatively uh, or the classified report, I think, is going to be just as benign, except it'll have like a little bit of meat and potatoes in there just to keep, keep the senators happy. Um, you know, something like, you know, we've got all the radar data, we've got all these footages, I mean, we've had thousands of hours of video, you know, we've got we've got tons of stuff that we're still sifting through, and, you know, that's what they're gonna be told. And then yeah. th- then they'll show them some super clear, super crisp version of a video that got out, and then they'll be like, Okay, we can't talk about this. Okay, these are demons, we're not gonna talk about this. Uh, this will nobody can handle this because they can't handle it. And then it's going to, you know, pretty much uh, be another 60 years of bullshit.
1: (laughs) Interesting. I love the cynical nature of that man. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I really don't. Um, And yes, one man's demon is another man's alien. If, uh, you know, Jacques Vallée or Young or any of those guys have told us, like, we're dealing with an evolution in the cultural perception of these phenomena. And I think that's so cool. And um I, I could just talk about that with you guys. But um let's get to these listener questions. But before that, Jason, how about you, man? What do you think? What's gonna come of this UAP I, task force? Are you with Gary?
2: I think I think what a lot of people um have been I've been noticing on you know social media is why now? Why are we you know why are they all of a sudden why is it now okay to talk about this? Um and, and for me, I, I think on a more logical um here is that um, we, we have this brand new um, space force that needs funding and what better yeah. way to drive home the idea that they need money than to, to declassify some things and um, you know to protect the, yep protect best
3: the way to do it make a threat
2: yeah so and that's where I'm at you know I I I I put, I I toyed around with the idea for a while of why now, why is it, why is it now the big, the big topic? And, um, I think there's a lot of damage control going on, but I also feel like, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that need to be funded and, you know, politics has its way.
3: Oh yeah. That's best way to fund anything is make people scared of it. Um, you're absolutely right, Jason. And the other thought I just had when you were saying that is that why now, um, well, we're not the only players anymore. We're not the big dogs. I mean, we're still the, the, one, the big dog, but China's huge. Japan's huge. You know, we still have all these first world countries, but now all of a sudden, for the first time, technology is starting to catch up in some of these second and third world countries. You know, right. we're seeing crazy stuff out of South America. We're seeing crazy stuff out of Africa. You know, we're staying, I mean, these places where there is no regulation, I mean, basically, as long as you could smuggle it out, you're getting this information. And some in some situations, like in South America, they have no qualms saying, hey, hey, I don't know what you guys are talking about. We're seeing all kinds of crazy shit, you know. <laughs> so, you know, when you have all these key players starting to come out and basically just saying your, your country's nuts for not talking about this, you know, they start to lose face themselves, too. You know, we, we uh, I've said it before, we've got over 40 different countries doing now space programs. Now, whether that's just a space program to develop something or actually putting satellites up, you know, mm-hmm. this is, you know, we're starting to becoming a world of players rather than just a world where you have four big countries running everything.
2: I, th- yeah. I think that, we, need, we need some serious uh, investigative work, you know, to be done by independent sources and and i and and what i mean by that is like we can't have the government because when the government gets involved in anything it always screws it up period and you know you need to have people just regular people out here investigating these things because you know we're going to come back and tell you the truth
3: maybe like a uh, group of uh, scientists and next navy pats Mm. Mm. Mm.
1: We're getting there. I know where that's yeah. heading. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. You, you let me right into it,
3: Jason. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, very good points, guys. And um you're right. You know, and again, the government's made up of thousands and thousands of people with their own belief systems, their own approaches to these topics. You know, you mentioned that a portion of uh the Pentagon or excuse me, possibly the Department of Defense when you know, they first got funding for this tip program. A lot of them were scared because they were ultra religious and they thought that these phenomena could possibly be demonic in nature. And some people might laugh at something like that, a theory like that. But these guys and women were very serious that well, they thought it. some of this could be evil, you know. Yeah, so
3: I remember a lot of the, you know a lot of the people that end up in politics are very devout Christians. They're very devout Catholics, Protestants. Um, Myself, I'm a saved Christian. And, you know, I've said that all the way through and it's, you know, surprises a lot of people, but, you know, just because God made aliens or God made off world beings or trans dimensional beings, or that he created a a universe with multiples of life, he still made us in his image. So I'm, I'm still cool with that.
1: (laughs) I'm cool with that too, man. I remember I uh, asked my Catholic priest when I was a kid, is it okay for me to be looking into this UFO stuff? Like, is it all right to believe that there's other life out there? And just like you said, he told me, of course. Like, it just means the creator is more powerful than we could ever imagine. So, you know, in terms of what might be in this report,
4: there was uh, an article that came out that said that, you know, um, could be other countries, could be aliens, they can't rule that out. I think that uh, the idea of proving that it's aliens, and I don't think a lot of people think about this, but that is a much higher threshold to prove that. Um, Hmm. So if you're going to say it's aliens and it's not from this planet, that would mean that you've got some evidence that they came from some other planet. And how would you have that? Unless, unless you went to that planet and you saw, oh, these beings are crawling all over that planet, so this is where they're from. We, we won't have that evidence. We won't have that. So uh, I think, you know, it might be a better question instead of using aliens as the term we use to describe this. Is uh, Maybe we should ask the question, is it non-human? Um, mm-hmm. I think that would be something with a more accurate answer. Um, Matthew, you're you're absolutely
3: right because it it doesn't have to be off world. I mean, Mm -hmm. there could have been a a very advanced civilization living right next to us. And until just now we wouldn't have had even the technology to even know that they're here. And if they're really thousands of years ahead of us in tech, why would you even think that you would know that they're here? (laughs) Yeah, And they could be the original inhabitants of this planet. And we just happen to evolve here on top of them. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well yeah, i think I, such a good I think point. yeah there needs to be some uh some you know to be able to to disprove certain things because like we're just learning about sprites i don't know if you if you even know what a sprite is but like no. um you know over the
1: past besides a soft years, drink yeah sorry <laughs>
2: <laughs> over the past 10 years i mean they, they they've they've just now caught these things on camera and it's it's uh, electrons that are coming from the the stratosphere and shooting downward. So like, there's still like, you know, there's still weather phenomena that we don't even understand. And I'm not, I'm not, Mm. you know, throwing this off as just a weather phenomenon. What I'm saying is, is there, there needs to be actual research into these things. What is it? Where does it come from? Where does it originate? You know, and if we can then, you know, prove or disprove through, uh, you know, different types of, um, you know, like through dark matter or, whatnot, then, then, hey, let's do that. Let's, let's, let's take out, you know, look at every variable and then work our way through that, you know, and go through the observables and find out exactly what we're looking at. Because if, you know, with full transparency, that's going to, that's going to allow us to, to, to then put our money in there, you know, like, and I'm not talking about our physical money, but our equipment and, and to be able to understand what it is that we're dealing with. Because it just being able to understand it now, you're you know you can you can put a name to it, and I think that's what a lot of people really want. Is just what is
1: it? Put a name on it. I'm so happy you brought up the five observables and and everything like that, Jason. Because this UFO topic has always mirrored our aspirations as human beings when it comes to science, when it comes to uh, religion, when it comes to whatever metaphysics, what have you. Um, it's often always mirrored. What we could be, what we want to be next, where our technology is going, being displayed in these transmedium craft, as it were. Like, I remember Commander Fravor saying, I don't know what it was, but I sure as hell want to fly it. And I think that's such a good point. We see these things and we're like, wow, that could be us someday. And hopefully it will. So, yeah, Uh I
2: don't know. I've always maintained that if, if it's not our technology, it needs to be because it, it really opens up a, a whole new uh, area for us of clean energy and, and modes of transportation, you know? And so again, if it's, if it's not ours, why is it not, you know, why are we not yeah. trying to figure out what this is so that we can then use Who says that? They're
3: not trying. That's I mean, true. you gotta remember, I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, we're all military guys, dude. I mean, when it comes down to it, if you see something, you, you, they're, they're, if they know that it exists, they are trying to make it. You can guarantee that. I mean, it's just, it just, they have people that are so ridiculously smart. And I mean, I've, I've, I've read reports and, and and accounts of like scientists that literally like worked until they were burnt out mentally so badly that they were basically just a shell of a person and. The only reason the story that got out is because they just barely have consciousness el- enough left to, uh, you know, talk about it after they were done. But then, you know, I always say point to the discredited genius. And uh, that's probably the guy to talk to.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, guys, let's let's move to these listener questions. Um, I'll fire through as brief or as detailed as, as you'd like. Um, I've got my first one here for Jason. Um we talked a little bit about this uh this extended video that you um you have seen and Tim wants to know uh can you tell us anything about what is in that unedited version and um do you think we'll ever see more of the Tic Tac video?
2: Well the, the unedited version is just it there's a lot of um there's a lot of the same footage, but then there are uh, there, there, there are images from where this thing, it's, it's like it, it created a mind of its own. Like it wanted to go from point A to point B at one certain speed. And it, it just went there. Um, there are certain areas, I'm sorry. There are certain areas within the video where you can see the, um, he's at a distance from this thing. Um, I don't know how far it was. Uh, I'd have to go back and read and where he had said that he was at a certain distance. Um, but just trying to keep up and maneuver with this thing, he was not able to keep up with it. So there's a lot of um, out maneuvering of our own uh, technology, which I, you know I don't want to get too deep into because for me, I you know I, I would be speaking outside of our capabilities, um, mm-hmm. of my knowledge of our capabilities. So, but to see it on the, the actual video itself, um, the. This thing would just outmaneuver our jets, you know, in an instant. So, yeah, they, I don't think we'll ever get the full unedited version. That, but what it does is it, it allows you to see the, the Tic Tac a lot clearer um, than what, what you see in the, the current video that we have. Um, and you do see some appendages sticking out of the bottom of it. Uh, Commander Fravor had mentioned that they look like a, like a hockey stick or an L-shape. Um, in the video that i saw you could not actually see the actual l shape you could just see the appendages sticking out which is going to be typical of you know when you're in the distance that far you're not going to be able to see a lot of detail on these things but the one thing that you don't see you don't see um propulsion you don't see any um means of like wings or windows or doors or anything on this thing um so you know would it revolutionize the you know the way that we think about this? Probably not, because you know people are people are going to be naysayers no matter what what you find, no matter what you see. Um, you know, and, so uh, there are going to be people out there who say, "Well, it could be a seagull." You know, and throw <laughs> it off. And, and, you yeah. know, but at the end of the day, I had nothing to gain from it, and if this whole story would have just never happened, I, I'd still be the same person I am today because of it. You know, so I I think for me, I want to know what it was I was looking at on that video just as much as you do.
3: Yeah. The only other thing that I can really add about the video that he didn't already cover is the fact that at certain points you can actually, you can see the different profiles of it. Right. So you, you guys, it almost, it looks like it changes shape, but really what you're doing is you're seeing it either at length or at the width of it. So, you're, you know, you're, it's just either a circle or a weird oblong shape. And then, you know, and then there's a lot of uh, reacquiring of it as it disappears from this from, you know, going to boom and then reacquire, you know, and then gone and then reacquire. But I mean, it's like the meat and potatoes really are what everybody saw. Okay. And, uh, you know, and the most specific things is just knowing, you know, its heat signatures and things like that. Those are the most important things on that video, because, I mean, it doesn't really show its true capabilities for speed or agility or anything like that. It just shows an impossible thing happening. I mean, it's, yeah. I, know that that,
1: I know that's not good enough, but. <laughs> hey, well, th- that's fair enough, Gary, because I think a lot of people uh, don't pay attention to those numbers they're seeing on the videos, like those are very telling and they, they could actually say more than what the actual object is doing in kind of the 2d version that we're looking at there. So I think that's a good thing
2: You've got to think about the altitude of which they were flying. They were at 20,000 feet, you know? So once you get up higher, you're, you're, you're the density and the, the speeds at which you have to maintain to, to, you know, to be able to, to stay aloft. Are, are going to change the higher you get, and we've got these things up at what, eighty thousand feet, right, Gary? Something like yeah, that. I think, I think that the knots.
3: highest that was tracked was like eighty something thousand feet.
2: Yeah, and, and at, I mean, at a hundred and something knots, it, you're that's that's almost impossible unless you're a weather balloon. Um, and, and Lord, here we go. I'm going to feed right into them. <laughs> yep, it's a weather balloon. Yep, it's a weather balloon. You know, no, Except no.
3: weather balloons don't come back down.
2: No, they, they don't come to the surface of the water. At,
3: <laughs> at least in, not, not at mock speeds.
2: Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and, and the fact that it doesn't make any sound. It doesn't make a sonic boom. How is this happening? You know, and, and where's the sound to our video?
3: Where's the, where's the rest of the gun cameras? I mean, every single yeah. one of those planes had a gun camera. And I mean, you can't tell me all of them had it off when they were going up against an unknown no. object. No. I mean, that's I mean, I mean, if I'm a pilot, I'm a pretty smart guy to begin with. And I'm going to be like, oh. I'm Only flip that on. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, you know, so, that's I like mean,
1: asking a uh, civilian, "Why did you have your cell phone out when you saw that?" Daddy? Yeah, yeah. right, right. You're somewhere. I was going to make a don't joke, you, but don't, um, don't you dare! <laughs> you've 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 had it enough. I know. Um, well, kind of piggybacking off of that question, Matthew. Um, in the gimbal video, uh, Tim asks. We, you can hear, and you know, like we said, there was no audio for the tic tac, but gimbal, we're hearing what these guys are seeing in real time. You know, the and the thing that always astounds me is that it's rotating. I, I just can't get over that. Um, again, just the idea that these things, seemingly with no propulsion, are rotating mid-flight. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. But um, in the audio, you can hear. uh, There's a whole fleet of these things. And you know, even Elizondo has admitted recently that right off screen there was a fleet of UFOs that were coming towards the gimbal craft. So, um, yeah, is this something you can confirm or deny with what you saw or what the people around you who showed you the video saw? Um, yeah, yeah. Anything to add with that? Um,
4: yeah, I mean there were, there was more than one. <laughs> I mean, I mean uh, there there were several and. You know, I'll, 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 a lot of the people aren't talking about this. It has been said a few times, but this was uh, this was not just one incident um, on the Theodore Roosevelt. So this this went on for four days, uh, and and they came back every night for four days. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I. I I can confirm. Yes, there there was more than one. I mean, there were there were several. Um, yeah, that's it.
1: Yeah, that's fair enough, man. Um, well, okay, let's talk about this for a moment. Um, the skeptics. We've hinted. We've we've tiptoed around his name, but he's all over the mainstream news right now. Uh, Mick West. And, um, you know, he is tried like hell to debunk all the videos that you guys uh, were seemingly a part of with these events and has come up, frankly, with some very ridiculous explanations. And for some reason, he does not trust the um, the testimony that a lot of military observers have brought forward. You guys don't matter to him in the grand scheme of things. Uh, when I think, you know, without witness testimony, we wouldn't have it be having this. Discussion right now. So, well, uh, what do you got? Yeah, Gary,
3: please. Well, with with Mick West, uh, don't he's he's smarter than he's letting on. I have oh, a absolutely. feeling. I you know, it's like when I did my interview with him. You know, I I agreed to an interview with him, and I did an interview with him, and you know, honestly, I felt like he was coming. He came away with it. Uh, you know, not being able to prove anything one way or the other, which is. The best you can hope for with Mick West, um, and I try, I try, I try to be very courteous to the gentleman because he's he is smarter than you think. Um, I have a feeling he kind of throws these wild theories out to frustrate people, you know, because like he is a very detail orientated person, and he is a lot more intelligent than you think he is. And I have a feeling he's waiting for you to give him the real numbers. So that mm. he can he can crunch them, so he can figure out, you know. And, and I think he does that that kind of. Well, here's a ridiculous story. Prove me wrong, you know. And then, okay, well, I will tell you that it, you, know, it can it has a resolution of da, da 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 da. It can go. It can see this far, and I know for a fact that it could because of this, this, and this. And then you just divulge classified information, and he gets his answer. You know. So, <laughs> there we go. I I think the guy's a lot smarter than people give him credit for. I really enjoyed my interview with him, and uh, I'll give I'll bust his chops for that seagull bullshit for the rest of his life. But <laughs> I'm gonna give the man I'm gonna give the man a little bit of uh, a little bit of solstice with me, at least with my answer with him. If he's got a question, I'll be able to I'll answer it to the best of my abilities any day of the week until he starts going into the endless loop.
1: Yeah, of the offering the uh, yep. Yeah. The peace offering from Gary. I love it, my man. And I agree with you. Yeah, I think um, he's just waiting and he's got a he's got a grand plan. Um, We'll see what happens. Uh, Well, let's talk about that in general skeptics. Now, you have someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson recently commenting on these videos and everything that's coming forward. And look, these guys don't even know the year that your event happened. They don't know how many people witnessed this. They don't know the altitude that the craft went up then down to the surface of the ocean, then to the cap point. They don't know any of this stuff. They come up with these blanket explanations for something that they haven't even looked into. That's my diatribe on a lot of what the debunkers do. Um, but I think skeptics are very important. And I'd like to get your guys' opinion on that what role do the skeptics play in all this and what would you like to tell them? Um, Jason, let's start with you.
2: I think, I think with, you know, people, the skeptics is, you know, if you expect us to, to, to hear what you've got to say and respect what you've got to say, you've got to, you've got to do the same to us and understand that, um, just because maybe sometimes your, your thoughts don't line up to, to the reality of what we experience it uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you get to, you know, write somebody off or say, well, it couldn't have done this because you know X, Y, Z. Um, but I do think, again, with the observables having skeptics there, um, they do play a, an important role in this whole process because you know now they're asking the questions that we're not looking into. If we're looking directly to find evidence, they're looking to find evidence that says, well, this could be something else that you're saying that you know if you're saying it's this. I'm going to show you that it could be this. So, you know, I, 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 like it that, you know, sometimes they can get frustrating because, you know, it, it kind of goes right into the heart of the matter of, and, and sometimes my pride can get in the way. And I'm like, but then, you know, you have to put it away, put your pride away, you know, and, and sit down and just have a conversation. Well, you know, you saw this thing moving at this fast, but you know, could it be this or could it be that, you know, but then you have to be willing to accept when you're wrong. And I think that's something that we, we all tend to forget is that it's okay to be wrong. Um, you know, we've been wrong before and publicly we, we will correct ourselves. Um, just be okay with being wrong.
1: You know, get used to it in the UFO field for sure. It is a constantly evolving field of study. And uh, yeah, if you can admit you're wrong, this is not the field for you to be in. We don't need you. We don't want you. So yeah, for those who say they have all the answers, run away as fast as you can. Um Gary, what do you think, man?
2: Um, Skeptics besides well,
1: West.
3: Well, Neil deGrasse Tyson, we'll we'll start with him. Um honestly, he's one of my heroes. I love the guy. Yeah.
0: yeah I've always great. loved
3: the guy. He's but he's a scientist. How can you expect a scientist to go outside of his realm of knowledge? How do you how do you expect a scientist not to use regular science? that we are currently using to explain what's going on. That's what he's trained to do. That's what he knows. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not going to, he's not going to say, you know, uh, Oh yeah. By the way, you know, this one guy had a theory, you know, and you know, it's a, you know, this, only this one guy has this theory and it could possibly be that, you know, I don't expect him to use any, anything that, that can't be used in a linear thought pattern. You know I mean? And he he's even had interviews with himself where, you know, he's like, well, yeah, there could be some things going on, but I don't have an explanation for him. And, you know, Mm -hmm. he's he's gone on record as basically just not believing a lot of this stuff. But why would he? What have we given him to make him believe? I mean, we only have empirical evidence. So if we only have empirical evidence, then a scientist is going to scoff at you. I mean, there's going to be scientists that are interested in trying to find the compelling data to make the rest of the scientists happy. But with just empirical evidence, then there's not a scientist on this planet that you can expect not to just say, okay, well, that's a cool theory. But it doesn't explain what you saw. You know, I mean, if somebody came out tomorrow and said, definitely 100% Project Bluebeam. Well, that's just, (laughs) that's a, that's a mythical thing. You know, it's hard for me to even respond to that because there's zero proof that it exists. so i'm going to be like neil degrasse tyson when somebody comes at me with blue beam i'm like okay well show me the company that's developing it show me the the show me the platform at which it's working. show me it's you know not just a cgi generated bullshit on youtube you know (laughs) Um, when we could show them the proof i'll be more critical of scientists but until then you know bring the skeptics on bring them come and come ask us questions Come study with us. Come try to find the answers with us. And, you know, leave the attitude at the door. And I just want to say I was uh, featured in a French magazine at one point, and And uh, my three-page article was before his two-page article. That's Neil deGrasse Tyson. Just, just mm, put
2: that um. out there. <laughs>
1: I love it. I love that. That's awesome, man. And and you you bring up another good point. Like for scientists, they are all about data and all about repeatability, which is the last thing we have in the UFO world. Usually these things zip in and out and it's gone. So like, what is there left to really study? So I completely understand that they're working with very limited evidence and data. So of course, they're not going to fully be able to explain something away or explain something. Um, Matthew, what do you think, man?
4: My big problem with skeptics, uh, and a lot of these people that call themselves scientists is that, uh, there are too many of them that are practicing religion. Um, they will look at this and they will say, that doesn't fit my worldview. I'm not going to touch it. Um, and, and that is m- more often than not, that's the case. Uh, because if you really look at all of the evidence that's out there, um, I mean, we've convicted people of murder uh, on less evidence than currently exists today. So, um, I don't understand what science is waiting for, and and for people that that think the scientific community once uh, this, you know, report comes out, whatever it says is going to come along and say, "Oh wow, you know, we are we are all in now." I, I think the people that think that are. Um, somewhat delusional, um, mm. because because that is exactly what science is. Science is a religion. These people have a worldview, um, and and what they don't understand is that you know they'll point to somebody like Galileo and say, "Oh, you know he he was a real scientist. He was trying to get people on board. He invited these people to come and take a look through his telescope and." And they said, "Oh, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That's 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 witchcraft, you know." Yeah. And and that's that's what's happening here today, right now. Um, they are being invited to take a look through Galileo's telescope, and they don't want anything to do with that w- witchcraft. Um. And, and and that's that's the reality of what's happening, <laughs> and it's very unfortunate. Uh, I I think even even if you know, the government comes out and says, you know, non-humans, aliens, whatever. Uh, the scientific community is going to lag behind on that a good 30 or 40 years. Uh, and I, and I think that that's what we should expect
1: before we go. I know you guys, you know, this isn't just one event and then game over. Like you've solved everything. We're clearly not there yet. Who knows if we will be, but, um, let's talk a little about the future. Um, Matt, tell us a little bit about your book and um, where people can find it and if they want to reach out to you. Would you mind sharing that with us? Um,
4: yeah, so I've got my email posted on Facebook. Um, anybody can contact me. Uh, and I return all emails eventually. Um, <laughs> So, uh, my book is just about what happened to me after I left, uh, the Theodore Roosevelt and just after I started working at the Office of Naval Intelligence. Um, and something that I will say about it is that, um, obviously you've heard me in this conversation. I'm not crazy. You know, I'm not a lunatic. Uh, I'm, I'm very level headed. And throughout my experiences, uh, I kept that same level headedness. Um, I used my training as an analyst. Um, just like I talked about how with Skinwalker Ranch and, and, and the hunt for the Skinwalker and Colm Kelleher, I kind of drilled down on what I knew, you know, and then so but but within my experiences I kept having these things that would happen and I would drill down on those and and it got very, very strange. Uh, very strange. Um, and I, I I arrived at some kind of truth uh, as a result of my experiences. And that's what my book is about. It's, it's available on Amazon. It's only available on Amazon because I had to self-publish because nobody knows or cares who I am. So um, that was I the do. only way I could do it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's not true, brother. And I will say for an independently uh, published book, it looks gorgeous. And I myself still have to read it. So I'm really looking forward to that. But Jason, Gary, tell us all about UAP Expedition, what you guys plan on doing. And um, yeah, what's the next chapter in your search for the truth?
3: All right. um, So we can't talk about anything.
1: No, I'm just i No comment. <laughs> uh, Spoken like a true military guy. Uh,
3: so uh, we decided to start a company called UAP Expeditions uh, because we really wanted to go back out and uh, try to replicate the data that we lost to the government. And I say that exactly the way I mean it. Um, the government has all of this metadata, even if they don't know what they are. They have videos they have thermal videos they've got radar data they've got um you know just high resolution visual data and i mean you can't tell me that all of these jets that are incurring these things aren't carrying cameras they're not carrying information they're not carrying sensors we don't we don't have hawkeyes picking this stuff up all the time and getting em data you know so we're taking it on ourselves to go find that information out ourselves. The literally the only thing we won't be able to catch ourselves is, you know, we won't have a phaser aid antenna or uh, a phaser aid radar to actually use, but I'm even working on that. So um, someday we will have even a phaser aid antenna to, to check out radar returns with because luckily for us, the technology actually is aging. So <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you go to, uh, the, uh, the Raytheon site, uh, they actually talk about our encounter and how they tracked UFOs. So, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty, you know, they're pretty psyched about, you know, using that as promotion. So, um, we've got a great team of, of scientists and expats. Uh, we've got, uh, uh, if you go to our website, uh, uapexpeditions.org. Um, I'm sure Ryan will be, a, a sweetheart and link that when, uh, in the description, when this goes live. Uh, but we, we have a lot of things going on that we can't, we can't discuss yet. Um, like with all plans, you can't really, you know, give anybody the meat and potatoes until you actually have meat and potatoes to give them. Um, so we can't feed you yet, but we're preparing the meal so stand by to stand by as we say in the service and mix it up, uh, mix it up. yeah yeah <laughs> and uh and i hope that uh i hope everybody is eventually happy with the company that we are developing because eventually i want to have a company that is the the gold standard of this field uh that basically other people you know say well oh, well what did uapx say about that you know and that's that's the that's that's the statement that I want people to have, you know, that's why I have people like Kevin Knuth Knuth on our staff, you know, this guy's a brilliant PhD, uh, a brilliant scientist, does a lot of side work, uh, a lot of, he does a lot of lectures on, uh, you know, how interstellar travel works, how, you know, the possibilities of life and, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, I've been, had the privilege of having him, people like Chris Altman, uh, David Mason. I'll tell you what, every, every time I get into a meeting with these guys and, you know, I'm telling them the things that we're going to be doing and they're giving me feedback and we're trying to make these plans and stuff like that. It's like after the meetings, I always have to go.
1: Why the hell are they <laughs> listening to me? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can I mean, only imagine.
3: I mean, these guys, it's just so amazing to have a team like this. So it's, uh, you know, I I really, well, the one thing I can guarantee everybody right now is no matter what my team is, no matter what the group ends up, this company is never going to go away. I I don't care if we end up just a crackerjack company, just, you know, walking out with a camera every, every weekend, trying to figure out exactly what's going on. We're going to continue. I'm going to keep, you know, for every person I lose, I will recruit another person and, my team is very valuable to me. I consider everybody on my team to be not quite family yet. Um, but you know, I'm responsible for these people and I want to grow a community. I'm going to reach out to other organizations. Um, I don't see any competitors in this field. I only see other people that are helping with the research. Um, kind of like I saw a uh, a Facebook meme that, you know, you you can't beat me because I hope you win, you know. And, you know, I, I, I thought it was very profound and I really enjoyed it. So, you know, I invite formally anybody that has an organization that is a scientist that has any interest in this, you know, even if you can't be a direct part of our company, Uh, You know, we're going to need people to proof our work. We're going to need people to, you know, uh, when 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 our scientists actually write papers on our on on whatever data we find, you know, we're going to need people to replicate that data. So, you know, I invite the entire world and the community to utilize us, you know, because once we're done with everything that we do. Everything is going to be public. We're going to give out all of the information. We're not going to hold back anything. And there may be a period of time that you're going to have to wait for it. But once you get it, there isn't going to be this at noon. I'm going to drop something that's going to blow your mind. No, it's going to be like, I'm sorry, guys. It took us so long to go through this billion hours of data. But this is the good stuff. Now, here's the bad stuff. Here's it all. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be that boring and I I hope that people can at least find that refreshing that the only thing they're going to have to wait for is at least us to go through the data Um,
2: something something I'd like to add to that um, on on the personal side of this the whole uh, you know that there are other organizations out there that are collecting data currently and I think um, again we need to we need to set our, 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 our pride aside and we've all got to you know, because it, you could be collecting one thing, I could be collecting another, but we're not sharing that information. You know, yeah, so I right. think that's what that's where things really need to start changing within the community is, you know, you've got people hoarding information for themselves. Um, and and I, I get it. I get it. You know, some people are money driven and things are going to at the end of the day, we've got to work together because we're not going to get that help um, from outside sources to really have a true and meaningful um, opportunity if we don't do it together, you know? And that's, I think that's something that, you know, again, it goes back to pride, you know, you've got to set your pride aside at times and say, look, okay, here's the information I have. I think it's going to go good with the data that you currently have. And we've got to be able to, combine these things together you know because we're we're, at the end of the day we're all trying to reach the same goal it's just maybe some of us are taking different routes to get there and that's okay you know and your route may be the better route and that to me that's okay good you know if that's working continue making it work and for us we're going to continue doing what we do and improve ourselves so that when you have some information that drops We've got core, you know, collaborative data that can say, hey, I, I wholeheartedly agree with what they're saying right now because here's what I have. you know. And if we can't work together like this, we're never going to see true and meaningful um, disclosure. We're never going to see true and meaningful information that comes across to, 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 to paint this big, broad picture. So at the end of the day, You know, I'm happy that there are people out there that are that are collecting data currently. Um, But there's going to come a time where we've got to share our information with each other. Uh, You know, so I'm going to put that on the table. I'm going to challenge the other organizations out there. Do it.
3: Now, with saying that, though, you know, we don't expect anybody to share anything with us until we have something to share with them. Correct. You know, we we don't want to come at you like, "Hey, man, uh, give us what you got." <laughs> yes, you know we don't. We, you got anything good? You know, no, we're not going to run into run out there with a cr- like crackheads, but uh, <laughs> but we will say that you know, when we do have stuff on the table and we do our bringing some bacon in for you to eat, you know, please join our table and just remember to, you know, is it that, you know, everybody had to bring a dish. <laughs> yeah.
1: Bring the coffee. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Yeah. No, that's, then, that's, yeah, sorry, Gary.
3: Oh, uh, and then I, I just want to make a special mention, uh, Jason, show that that symbol on your shirt there real quick. All right. So this is our, our, uh, our new trademark. And uh, I want to thank Mary Kennedy for, for coming up with that. Cause This poor lady has had to deal with me and I'm like, look, I need something simple. I need something that people can just see and understand who it is. And I need it yesterday. And she did it completely free of charge on her own free time and, you know, didn't, didn't charge us a dime for it. Um, If you ever want to see any type of graphic design or anything like that, there's a link on our webpage for her. Um, But yeah, I thought the thing looked sharp, and I, I love our new design. So it's it's. I had to say something about it. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like good. I said, man. I'm, 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 yeah, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was going to say right after this, I'm getting Matt's fuck and I'm getting that that polo right there that Jason's rocking for sure. <laughs> oh,
3: good luck. That's limited edition. We don't have swag yet.
1: <laughs> oh, not yet. You'll get <laughs> we're do it. Think, we're gonna, we're, I can. Definitely <laughs> yeah,
3: I, I, I think I think cool. we might be arranged something for you, Ryan. Thank you,
1: thank you. Uh, well, all right, guys. I we have gone way over time. I have to thank you for your patience and for st- sticking with me here. Um, can you each give me your um your most immediate contact where people can find you, Matthew? One more time for us.
4: Uh, yeah, Facebook, Matthew Roberts UAP at uh, Facebook. Thanks.
1: Love it, Gary.
4: Uh, you can find me on Facebook,
3: Twitter, Instagram, uh, on Facebook though. My first page is private to only people that I know personally. Um, you're welcome, Ryan. Uh, but, uh, but you can, you can contact me via messenger. You can contact me via Twitter. I stay pretty active on Twitter. I might go dark for a couple of days at a time, maybe even a couple of weeks, but I'll always be back. Um, and then, of course, you got Instagram and, you know, uh, MeWe. I'm on MeWe also. And pretty much any format you could think of, I probably have some type of profile that I check at least once a week. Um, like Jason said, you know, it's very important for us to keep present and, you know, be able to engage with people so that they can actually understand what, at least from, you know, what little we know, you know. So the only thing we really bring to the table right now is just our experience. So we're happy to share that and whatever technical knowledge we can provide that doesn't, you know, divulge any military secrets, you know. So I won't tell you how you can build a spy one Bravo radar, but I'll tell you it can do some cool stuff. <laughs> so
1: fair enough, brother. Thank you. And Jason, where can we find you, man?
2: Uh, you can catch me on Twitter. I'm, I've become a little more active on there over the past couple of weeks. At, uh, it's at Jason Turner two, the number two. Or uh, you can get me if you need to email me or anything you have questions you want to ask direct questions. It's Jason or j. Turner at uapexpedition.org
1: awesome well i'm gonna leave it at that guys um i can be found at somewhere skies on twitter somewhere in the uh but first and foremost thank you for your service thank you for having the courage to come forward i know it couldn't have been easy for any of you guys it's not easy for us civilians even but let alone uh former Navy serviceman. I have to thank you for everything you've done on what you will continue to do and trying to find answers to all of this. And, you know, I always say we may take different paths, but we're all trying to find the same destination. So I think you guys are on different, but the right path. And that's, what's most exciting about this. And uh, thank you so, so much for joining me at this special presentation